This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Oregonian Sports Podcast, formerly Sports by Northwest, but now the Oregonian Sports Podcast. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at the Oregonian and Oregon Live, joined by our man in Eugene, James Crepia, Ducks writer for the Oregonian. James, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much, Bill. How are things uh, by you these days? Wonderful. Um, Big, big weekend of college football upon us, and we're going to dive into your end of things, obviously Oregon State's up at Washington State in the Left Behind Bowl, Pac-2 Championship, whatever you want to call it. But the even buzzier game than that and the higher profile from at least a national standpoint game is happening in your neck of the woods in Eugene with Oregon hosting Colorado. What's uh, game week been like down there at practices uh, with with the Ducks? How, are, how, how, how have those practices gone? Well, from what limited uh, time we do get to see practice, which is quite limited, uh, it really is. It's just another day kind of thing uh, in terms of nothing, nothing changed in period one or two. Right. I'll have, you know, um, they are still very much taking part in special teams in period one. Um, but now for, for the Ducks perspective, uh, for, for what they've been doing, one, not that they were in a bad health situation at any point so far this season, but it's clearly improving uh, Two of the transfers who have yet to play through the first three games and the shot Strother and Justin Jacobs have been, uh, steadily and slowly but surely uh, making their way not just back on the practice field but doing more on the field while we're there uh, Ashad Strother doing quite a bit uh, today on Wednesday uh, in that capacity so from a health standpoint you know is that because it's Colorado week or is it just because they're getting healthier um, probably more the latter otherwise yeah of course is there a buzz around this game nationally yeah you know that I'm sure the players and the coaches all know that uh, mm-hmm. but they preach the message that you would kind of expect, which is on one hand, they know it, they recognize it, they appreciate it. These are the games you want to play in and play for, et cetera, et cetera. The same token, don't make it more than it is either. Uh, And I think that's more, you know, yeah, it's all coach speak stuff, but it's nonetheless true. Uh, You're not going to deny reality. Yeah. There's more, you know, buzz and and whatnot around this game because it's a ranked meeting and Colorado's drawn all this attention and et cetera, but let's not make it out to be, uh, something that it's not, you are still going to play 60 minutes of football on Saturday. Um, and there's going to be a winner and loser at the end of it. There's not some other thing going on here. <laughs> Third option. <laughs> I mean, I know everybody well, else wants you know, to turn it into a circus, but believe me, you know, they're, they're not going to be wild animals. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's reserved for Colorado where Ralphie literally is, is on the field. Uh, there will not be. Uh, hey, I- I, I'll make I'll make the jokes here. You, uh, you. I was about I was about to I was about to make that one, and then you uh, you beat me okay, to so it. Good, good minds I, or bad minds, one <laughs> or the other. Bill. 
So what I um, you, you're touching on the, the thing that I think is most interesting, and I and I I mean obviously um, I've I've already I'm on the record saying I think Oregon's going to win this going away. I mean they're favored by 21 points. Colorado's in a world of hurt playing without Travis Hunter, unfortunately, who was the uh, recipient of a really unfortunate late hit against Colorado State in that epic uh, come from behind double overtime game on Saturday. Doesn't change the fact that Colorado is the biggest story in college football. And with, you know, uh, Deion Sanders, I think, did we make it this far in the podcast without saying Deion Sanders name, Coach Prime? Um, so here it is. This is the Coach Prime portion of the podcast um, and what he has brought from a buzz, energy, celebrity standpoint to that program. It has them 3-0, and which nobody saw coming, ranked 19th in the country. Oregon's going to be their biggest test at 10th. Oregon heavily favored, but still a huge show in Eugene. And so that's the first thing I wanted to ask you, James, in your years covering the ducks, um, you know, and I, I pose this to you in a text, so I'll let you fill in the blank. This is the biggest game in Eugene since when? Yeah. It's tough to quantify in that sense, Mm. because Mm. if you're saying from a sheer national buzz outside, you know, viewers, it's, it's in a very long time. In in a a extremely long time, because from a television rating standpoint, uh, I'm quite curious to see what this game does do, because, yeah, it's in that 1230 Pacific, 330 Eastern time prime, not in prime time, literally, but prime in terms of television inventory uh, by way of up against the CBS uh, SEC game, which is Bama Ole Miss. Uh, But Bama looks a lot more mortal uh, than they ever have. Uh, certainly over the last 15 years. And Dion has generated uh, this level of interest. Which game is more competitive at the time may very well be the game that has the better rating at the time. To your point, if Oregon does pull away and the SEC game is more competitive, I'm curious. But if you're looking at it from that lens through the, well, there's supposed to be seven, eight, nine, ten million people watching this game, which is right. not something that happens very often in general, uh, contrary to this this three-week sample size with, with what's going on in Colorado, uh, then you'd have to go back maybe maybe ever Uh, in the sense of what's actually happening on the field here, a PAC 12 opener, both teams are Mm -hmm. three and O somebody's going to be one and O in league play. It's a top 20 matchup, but this is not a top 10 matchup, not a top five matchup. Right. Uh, And this, and I, we had those last year. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So you would be disingenuous to say what this, this game is bigger than the Washington game last year. Not in terms of what's happening on the field. Not in terms of the actual fans, but in terms of the casuals, the casual, the casual mm-hmm. observer who is, has no affinity, no connection whatsoever, and no dog in the fight. Absolutely, this is bigger to the Oregon fan uh, and very much our readers and listeners, <laughs> or uh, to the Colorado fan uh, who actually is a Colorado fan and not a uh, you know fly by night uh, operation. Then yes, uh, then this is certainly a big game, but not bigger than. Uh, any number of others, but I mean, I could, I think you, I think you might point to three games on the calendar last year from a, from a competitive standpoint, from a stakes standpoint. Yeah. And when you're, when you're, when you have, when you have hopes of making the college football playoff, the stakes are sky high every week because one, you trip up against any opponent and that becomes the biggest game of the season or the biggest, you know, highest stakes game of your season. But I go back to last year against UCLA. That was a top 10 matchup when Chip Kelly Brought a top 10 team to Autzen Stadium. I mean, that felt about as big as it gets at the time. You know, Washington, you know, was making. But generated zero national attention. 
Right. And and so I think and we're talking about the ratings that Colorado put, has put up so far with the interest that and the Colorado State game on Saturday, James, the number was Insane. astronomical, something like nine point eight million viewers is a number I have in my head that may not be it was right. over it nine. Was some, yeah. It was it was a huge number for a game that ended at, I want to say, 2 a.m. Pacific time or 1 a.m. Pacific. I mean, really, you know, burning, you know, burning late into the night. So there's a lot of interest. Um, and it's in, but that game also had the benefit of being, hey, is Colorado going to come back, you know, in this, in this really enthralling matchup rivalry game? Everybody had heard what Jay Norvell said. This game doesn't have the same uh, chirping going back and forth that we've kind of heard a lot of. Um, and I, I guess I'd also be curious for your thoughts on that, James. Did you, I, I, th- I think I know what your answer to this is going to be, but were you at all surprised that Dan Lanning didn't engage in any more of the, um, <laughs> bulletin board material, uh, in his weekly press conference on Monday? No, because there's no need. There's nothing <laughs> about this to where, you know, yeah. I, I'll say this. What if Dion were around longer? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean uh, I'm not projecting in terms of what he is or isn't going to do there. I'm talking more in the sense of if this were even the second time they had met or third or fourth mm-hmm. and there had been a chance for more animus either built through games or through the recruiting trail. Because there's been some recruiting trail battles already. Sure. Minor, relatively. Um, not a plethora by any means because he just hasn't been there long enough. But what had there, you know, tease this out a couple of years or whatever. And what if he was in the conference for the last three, four years? Well, maybe it would have been a little bit different, but for a one-off meeting that let's call it what it is. This is going to be a one-off meeting. They're, 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 these two teams are yeah, not it's, meeting. It's the end. This, this yeah. is, these yeah. two teams are not meeting in a Pac-12 championship game. That ain't happening. Okay. And they're not meeting in a bowl game this season. And I can't imagine it happening for a while. So realistically, Hey, there's, there's, there's not that level of animus. And frankly, even if there were, why would you want to manufacture the right. lunacy ahead of things? Unless you were trying to, unless you, unless you had something going on on your team, whoever the coach is, I don't care who we're talking about, who, and you needed to create a distraction to avoid attention being on the other thing. Mm. That's one thing. And sometimes coaches do that uh, in any level of sport. But here, no, there was no animus. Uh, everything that was said and brought up back from July 31st, which um, it, you knew it would be asked again. I, so be it. But no one who heard it originally and it blew up at the time. No one has to yep. tell me. Um, but it just was never meant to be directed at Dion or his team. It wasn't. No mm-hmm. one there took it as such. Travis Hunter acknowledged as much reality. So the people who were trying to recycle it I thought we're doing so for some very, very self-serving reasons. None of them were affiliated with Oregon or Colorado, at least in an official capacity. So, no, I wasn't surprised that Dan didn't because there was no reason to. Uh, and there was, and nothing from before uh, caused reason to. And I thought you heard uh, from both coaches, really, nothing but uh, appreciation and respect for one another. And I, so far, have no reason to believe that there's anything but that. Yeah, and for anybody who's been living under a rock um... – or has, has just somehow missed this story. Dan Lanning did say at Oregon media day, you know, this was, this was right on the heels of, of Colorado announcing it was going to the days later, the literally like three, four, four or five days. The the PAC 12 was a day away from hearing what the media rights deal. George Klyovkov had, had secured up to that point was. So there was still 
a lot of, I think, expectation that these nine schools were still going to stick together as the Pac-12. So there was some in, there was some institutional banter, right? And there was some institutional animus maybe happening, but there wasn't. It, Not with Colorado. It wasn't about the team. If no, anything, like, what they if won? anything, good if, I mean, if you really want to go back to that, if anything, Oregon, Washington, the Big Ten, and Fox should should be thanking Colorado. Well, that certainly was the, uh, the 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 push off the high dive for sure, um, James. Okay, so a couple of football things I want to get to as well with this matchup. Um, this is going to be the biggest test for Oregon's defense uh, that they've seen through three games. Mm-hmm. Certainly bigger than uh, Portland State and Hawaii, and you know a little bit of a different kind of challenge from Texas Tech. But um, Shadur Sanders, the quarterback at um, at Colorado, who is of course Dion's son has been nothing short of spectacular this season, putting up, you know, video game numbers. Um, you know, doesn't have Travis Hunter uh, this week as we've as we've hit. What kind of test do you think this is going to be for the Oregon DBs? And then in more broad sense, this Oregon defense has been the question since Dan Lanning got there. And this is year two for Tosh Lupoi, the defensive coordinator. The one game where they really had a formidable opponent, I'll say, in Texas Tech, you know, the defense struggled. So what do you expect and what kind of test does this end up being for um, Tosh Lapoy's defense? I think it's the most significant test to date. Uh, it will be a very good gauge uh, and barometer for later tests with Washington specifically, uh, potentially with USC as well. Mm. And the difference compared this to Texas Tech, um, schematically, they're, they're not um, – they're not wildly dissimilar, but they're really not very similar, um, to, to be honest. Um, every, and that's like saying everybody with a vertical passing game is similar. It's like, not really. Right. Uh, comparing it to last week would be pointless. Um, they're not a run and shoot at all uh, in, in any way either. There's there's unique aspects to how they're going about things uh, schematically. One, Sean Lewis is a really, 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 really good offensive mind. Uh, was when he was a head coach at Kent State. Uh, had been sought after by many people. Uh, so he has always had a pretty productive passing attack. Uh, we'll see if their running game looks a little bit different this week. It sounds like one of the running backs is expected to be back uh, in that context, but ultimately the amount of vertical passing, particularly with Shador Sanders and what he offers uh, and what that receiving core offers, even without Travis Hunter uh, is just different than what the other receiving cores that, that Oregon has played so far uh, has and the combination of quarterback and receiving core. Um, Shador is very high in escapability, but he's been sacked a whole bunch. Um, much of that has to do with the offensive line. Some of that is maybe he's holding on the ball yeah. a little bit. But bottom line is he's still a threat to extend plays. And he'll run here or there, but mainly his threat is to extend plays to open things up right. for the receiving game. Tyler Shuck could do that, but he obviously had a lot of effectiveness on the ground, 100-plus yards rushing. Yep. That's where Oregon's defense had the biggest trouble in that game. They didn't get beat over the top over and over and over again. No, they allowed a couple of passes right. and their lead receivers are really good. And the six, nine tight ends, a tough cover, but yeah. in the grand scheme of things, all right, a couple of individual matchups here or there. That's it. That's, that's going to happen in a game. This combination of the receiving core, which is talented, albeit without Hunter and a quarterback who can utilize that talent very, 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 very well. And a scheme that puts all those players in great position. That's a tough challenge. Now, the one thing is the glaring weakness of their offense is still their offensive line. Um, they may have a player or two. Their left tackle is ginormous, uh, and he was there a year ago, and he was the one who made the comments about the interior of Oregon's defensive line not being the strength of its mm-hmm. defense and et cetera. He's still around. 
outside of that, they've obviously allowed an extremely high number of sacks in part because of what they do schematically and in part because they're just not very good on the offensive line. Um, they are they are facing probably their biggest challenge from a defensive front seven, particularly on the defensive line from Oregon. So uh, that will be an intriguing matchup. But the challenge to Oregon's DBs, yeah, it starts with uh, with Horn and Weaver, their top two receivers, and uh, and with a quarterback who, like I say, obviously has a huge arm, so makes some very good decisions in the, in the throwing game, and is able to utilize and call upon multiple targets to make it happen. And if they can balance that a little bit more with an extra body in the run game, yeah, that's that's going to be a formidable test. More so, certainly, forget about the, the other two non-cons, even than Texas Tech, yeah. um, because, frankly, I think Colorado's run game might be a little bit better uh, than what Texas Tech had to offer, which, yes, utilized the quarterback run, which was different. Uh Sanders has been sacked 16 times for 134 yards in three games, which is now two of uh, those are power five games in fairness. Sure. But that is, but that is a, I mean, you're averaging, you're giving, you're giving up five sacks a game Mm -hmm. on average, which is a, which is a significant number. Um, uh, James, uh, on the, on the flip side, I want to talk about Oregon's receivers because that is a group that has undergone a major change from last off season. Um, Obviously a very visible group of players that you see last year. It felt like Bo Nix had Troy Franklin and then not a whole lot of other really reliable options. It feels like they have addressed that via the transfer portal. They went out and got Gary Bryant jr. From USC Uh, Tez Johnson, obviously I've written about him a lot, you know, great story and that he is Bo Nix's, you know, call him adopted brother essentially, but uh, was, was, was raised as a teenager by Bo Nix's family. Uh, He's been really effective, has had three touchdowns in the last two games, two touchdowns against Hawaii. And then uh, Treshawn Holden, who is the receiver from Alabama, who has come in and uh, they've all made, you know, an impact in their own, in their own ways. Troy Franklin, I think is still really clearly the leader of that receiving core. And it's reflected in the statistics. He has, um, he has the most catches 17. Uh, the next closest is 12 Bucky Irving out of the backfield, but among the receivers, Gary Bryan and Tez Johnson both have 11. Uh, Troy Frank- Franklin has three touchdowns. Um, you know, he's obviously getting thrown to on those big plays way more than anyone else. And he leads them in yardage as well. So not to, I think if James, if we were going to go ahead and rank the receiving, the receiving core of this, of this group, you know, last year, I think it was Troy Franklin was one, maybe Chris Hudson was number two. And it was like pretty, a pretty steep drop off. Um, You know, whereas now, I mean, you know, um, I think that you would say that there is a lot more competition for the number two option in the passing game, the number three option, the number four option. Uh, Those are real blue chip players, especially when you talk about Treshawn Holden and, and Gary Bryant Jr., so what I'm going to be interested to hear, James, is if you could rank this receiving group, and we're going to say that Troy Franklin is number one because yeah, he is. Because yes. <laughs> right? but, through, but through these three games, you know, how does the rest of that, that group shake out? Uh, and it doesn't need to be clearly delineated. This is the number two receiver, number three receiver, number four receiver. But who's impressed you the most and who do you trust the most? How do you rank the rest of those receivers? And is there somebody that we haven't seen as much of yet who needs to be in that conversation that I'm leaving off the list? Well, because the production from Bryant and Tez Johnson is really, really, really close. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't draw a huge line uh, delineating the two just yet. Because I think they're different players um, and what they do and what they bring, what they offer. 
Uh, Tez, you see much more, and obviously yards after the catch is a huge component of his right. game. And he is capable of stretching the field vertically. He's capable of major yards after the catch. Um, so he's and and mainly in the slot, but can also yes operate on the outside. But he's mainly a slot kind of guy. Uh, that's his certainly his forte. Bryant, you see also in a variety of spots, and it really and credit to Will Stein uh, so far in that he's really utilized all these guys in a variety of spots. He's put Troy Franklin in the right. slot. Um, but I'd say Bryant has been utilized more so outside so far. Uh, and some of his better production has come outside. Some of his touchdowns have come lined up outside in, in one-on-one situations. Um, so I, I think they're just utilized differently. I think they bring different skills to the table, uh, certainly different body types uh, in that way. Though they both are explosive players, they both operate in punt return and uh, you know other parts mm-hmm. of the game. So they are similar, but as I say, I think they're, they're just a little bit unique um, co- comparing their own games. Compared to a Treshawn Holden, who we've seen uh, also where, yeah, I mean, the, the 60-yard touchdown, the catch and run that was kind of ridiculous against Hawaii. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. There was no match there. Um, if you take that play away uh, from his production, so you don't you know, let it get entirely skewed, uh, his involvement has been, if you're going to call it surprising, surprisingly low so far. I was gonna say I was gonna say minimal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you take away that sixty yards, I mean, yeah, had, yes, because it came at the end of a blowout, and and no one on Hawaii was going to be able to cover him in that capacity. Uh, it's been a little bit low. Uh, that said, between that game, that game in particular, I thought early, I thought mainly in the second quarter, I thought Oregon did some things schematically with they were using a lot more multi tight ends at points in that game. Either, again, I can't speak for Will Stein. Was he doing it because it worked out matchup-wise? Was it doing it because they were trying to get the ball to the tight ends more? Was it doing it because they wanted to get more blocking there? Or was it doing it because they didn't want to show much of their 11 personnel package to Colorado and Stanford? Any of those things are possible. Bottom line, when you are operating in 12 and 13 personnel, fewer receivers are on the field. Fewer opportunities are there for Bryant, for Holden, for any number of other players. So I don't know how to put one ahead of the other Bryant relative to Johnson um, at the moment in terms of NFL ability today, you would say Bryant in the long run. It may very well be Tez, especially he's able to gain a couple of pounds for the NFL. It's going to be hard to be in the NFL at hundred on, on one sixty or less. Right. That's just hard. That's it. Uh, Holden certainly could get there by way of production, more opportunities as the season goes on. And the question that plenty of fans have uh, as the weeks have gone on is what is going on with Chris Hudson? Where does he fall in this picture? Uh, Why wasn't he involved as much? And then, of course, you saw him really throughout the second half last week, but he has yet to get involved by way of production just yet. So ultimately, if a guy who was one of your more productive receivers a year ago is now at best your number five option today, that should show that yes, the transfers that they added in the receiving core to the shock of nobody, really. I mean, you're talking about Bryant and Johnson and Holden. All three transfers came in to upgrade the receiving core, and so far they have done so with their own performances, with their own production, and then relative to others, yes, they brought in three transfers to contribute. They're doing just that. Um, I, I think Hudson's 
you know, the minimum level of involvement so far was in part due to injury. Um, mm-hmm. We saw him limping even a couple of weeks ago. Yes, he was practicing, but clearly he was dealing with something. Uh, and okay, he got on the field last week. So I think you're seeing kind of a combination of things. We'll see as the weeks go on if his opportunities increase or not. Um, but they also have some young guys in the receiving core, like a Kyla Casper, like a Justice Lowe, and the two freshmen and a Jurion Dickey, who we've seen these guys out there in these blowout games. I don't know how much we'll yeah. see this week, uh, but if, to the point, the ranking of receivers, I think clearly Bryant and Johnson have separated themselves. Holden would probably be just below that. And then after that, it's it's kind of hard, to be honest, to, to, to rank. I mean, if you're going to go by career production, how can't you say Hudson? But, yeah, I, I mean, on the potential and what somebody could really? be, could be yeah. any number of the freshmen who we just haven't had a chance to see a whole lot of just yet. Yeah, well, and, and we're probably going to see even less of those those guys going forward that you're talking about just because the schedule's getting real, James. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at what, what where the Ducks go next. I mean, there's currently uh, there's currently eight teams ranked in the top the top twenty five from the Pac twelve. Well, <laughs> they play four they uh, play f- what five of them in their next six games, four of them in their next five, right? Colorado, Colorado. Oh, and then uh, yeah, right. They have Stanford, Washington, Washington State, Utah. That is a, a you know through the lens of this season in the Pac-12, that is the murderer's row of the schedule. And then you get USC a couple weeks later. So it is it is going to get very real for the Ducks very fast. So, um, you know, what happens against Colorado this weekend should be, you know, a, a, a somewhat interesting bellwether or barometer of, of where things are going. But I think we would agree far from the biggest test that they're going to face in the coming weeks. Agreed. Uh, look, it's it's an early... It's the conference opener against an opponent that's naturally going to gain a lot of attention and whatnot. But yep. let's not let their current success don't don't minimize it because that's the, 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 the you set yourself sure. up for some real peril there. Uh, don't minimize it. Don't look down on it. They have beaten two power five teams. They may not be very good. I don't know about TCU just yet. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're not very good. Um, Nebraska probably in for a little bit of a challenge right now, to be honest. Um, Colorado State, they're in a close game with with a not very good Mountain West team. Okay. But don't overlook it. However, if a month ago we were talking about this game, at best, you would have been expecting Colorado to be 1-2. They're 3-0. and yep. That's the credit to them. Yep. Let's. There is a reason why this line is 21 points by way of outside expectations. So mm-hmm. even with success, there still comes the, a, a degree of reality. Is this a big matchup? Is this going to generate lots of eyeballs and attention? Yes. Is this the biggest matchup, the most challenging matchup on Oregon's schedule in the 2023 season? Uh, no, very much not. <laughs> um, if it becomes that way, by the time we're, you know, it's five o'clock for, uh, Saturday night and we're feeling like, wow, that was that big a test something has probably gone very wrong. And then you have all kinds of questions about the forthcoming matchups you lay out. So big opener, lots of hype, all those things. Let's not lose perspective. This is still a program very much building and looks like they're on well on their way. And they will bring many eyeballs to the Big 12 eventually when they do. Say, they're going to be a great asset to the Big 12. Um, yeah, and, and, and I mean, James, if this goes the way we think it will, or at least I certainly am on record saying I think it will. It sounds like you're of the same mind. You know, this is going to be a big Saturday for Oregon, right? You're talking about millions and millions and millions of eyeballs on on Eugene, Austin Stadium, on Dan Lanning's program, on their style of play, which is very, um, 
very appealing. Um, you know, I imagine this will be a, a very uh, useful recruiting weekend for Oregon as well. So um, looking forward to seeing what they do. If it goes the way, you know, I've, I've obviously said that it, it, it should, um, would be, it will be a really good weekend for Oregon. They'll be four and O going into, I, you know, much more of the meat of their schedule uh, once they get past Stanford next week. So uh, James Crepia, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Oregonian and Oregon live. Thank you for joining me on the Oregonian sports podcast. We'll do this again soon. Thanks Bill. Appreciate it. And thanks to those of you for listening to the Oregonian sports podcast, formerly sports by Northwest, but now the Oregonian sports podcast. I'm Bill Oram. Thank you for listening.